on April the 26th in 2008, a very important softball game took place, probably between two teams that you and I wouldn't follow living down here in Texas. But nonetheless, Western Oregon and Central Washington were facing off in a game that would decide which one of those two teams would go to the playoffs, NCAA Division II softball playoffs. The winner went into the playoffs, and the loser would go home. In the second inning, the score was tied 0-0. Zero to zero. Western Oregon had two runners on base when Sarah Tukolsky came up to the plate, and she was standing there in the batter's box, and she was getting ready for that first pitch to be thrown to her. She was in a terrible slump. She was three for her last 34. And so she was pretty discouraged about that. The first pitch came in. It was a called strike. She thought to herself, I probably should have swung. The second pitch came in. And had she not swung, it would have undoubtedly been a strike. But she did swing. And when she swung, something happened that had never happened in all of her life. Not in the game. Not even in a practice. She hit a home run. A three-run homer because there were two on base. Well, she was so excited that when she rounded first base, she forgot to touch the base. And she got about eight or ten feet around and she thought, I did something wrong. First base coach is hollering, Sarah, come back, come back. You forgot to touch first base. Well, instead of just calmly and coolly turning around and going back to first. She was so excited, so much energy going on that she planted her right foot hard in that dirt and that metal cleat got hung in the dirt. And when she turned, she tore her ACL. Many of you have had that injury. You know how painful that can be. When she did, she immediately collapsed and all she could do was to crawl back to first base. When she got there, she just held on to first base like it was a life preserver. Well, the first base coach, the other teammates are not knowing exactly what to do. Some were starting to come from the dugout to help. When all of a sudden, someone else from the dugout hollered out, don't touch her because there was some confusion on the rules for this particular game. If you touched a member of your own team, maybe she would be called out. And so all the people from the coaches on her side were saying, don't touch her, don't touch her, don't touch her. Well, the umpires got together and they began to talk and try to figure out what's going on and to, to give Western Oregon what their options were. And one of the umpires said, well, you can always bring in a pinch runner. But the only thing with that, the three-run homer that she just hit will now become a two-run single because when the pinch runner comes in, The pinch runner has to pick up where Sarah left off on first base. Well, they didn't want to do that because that would cost them a run, and this was Sarah's first home run, and it would just not be the same for that. Well, while the umpires are meeting and the coaches are all talking about it, the first baseman for the other team, for Central Washington, a girl named Mallory Holtman, she went to the umpire and she said, would it be okay if I went over there and picked Sarah up and tried to help her around the bases and help her? home. The umpire said, but you're on the other team. If you do that, you're going to help the other team score an extra run. Mallory said, yeah, but it's only the right thing. After all, she hit the home run. And so the umpire said, if that's what you want to do, there's nothing in the rule book. That's not obstruction. That's not interference. You're not getting in her way. You're helping her home. There's nothing preventing you from doing that. Well, as Mallory was going to first base to help Sarah, she looked over to the shortstop, Liz Wallace, and she said, Liz, come help me. And so Mallory and Liz went to first base. 
They picked up their competitor, their teammate, and they literally carried her around the bases. When they got her to second base, they helped her with her good foot to touch second. And then when they got her to third, with a good foot to touch third. And as they were rounding third and coming home, Mallory and Liz were thinking, I bet the people in the crowd are going to think we're nuts, especially our fans, because we're helping the other team score a run. But just the opposite happened. When they were rounding third and coming home, there was not a dry eye in the stands. Both sets of fans were cheering and applauding. This was actually videoed by someone who was at the game. I wish we could have shown the video today. And somehow it got into the hands of ESPN. ESPN was so moved and touched by this act of sportsmanship and, and, and love that they ended up inviting Sarah and Mallory and Liz to the ESPY Awards. If you're a sports fan, you know that each year ESPN has awards for the greatest moments in sports, the greatest achievements, and the greatest athletes. They call it the ESPY Awards. And Sarah and Mallory and Liz received an ESPY Award for great sportsmanship. Now, when I read that story this week, here's what I thought. What Mallory and Liz did for Sarah by carrying a fallen player around the bases and taking her home is exactly what God does for us. He picks us up when we're fallen. He picks us up when we don't have any strength of our own, and he carries us home. Now, here's what I know, and I know you know this too. As Christians, we can't pick up unsaved people and carry them to heaven. But here's what we can do. We can pick them up and carry them to Jesus, and Jesus can carry them home. Amen? And that's what we're going to be thinking about today. So if you have your Bible, if you would open it to the Gospel of John and chapter number 1, we're thinking about bringing our family members or our friends, those closest to us, to the person of Jesus Christ. Now, as we talked about last week when we were beginning our little emphasis that we're having again today and again next week about reaching our community for Jesus Christ, one of the things that we, we talked about last week was our mission statement. Our staff has worked hard on this for several months, and we introduced it to the church last week, and everybody seemed to like it real fine. But the mission statement, I want to put it on the screen again today, to help all people experience new life in Jesus Christ. All people, doesn't matter their background, doesn't matter their skin color, doesn't matter their social status, doesn't matter their political preference, to help all people experience new life in Jesus Christ. Let's try to say that together. Ready? To help all people experience new life in Jesus Christ. Remember last week, I thought you were doing that so great and you were reading it off the screen. So I want us to take it off the screen and let's see if we can say that today. Again, with no help, just in our mind. Ready? To help all people experience Experience new life in Jesus Christ. Now, how are we going to do that? How are we going to fulfill our mission statement? Well, by fulfilling our three purposes in the Bible. Now, we kind of came up with a mission statement. It's from the Bible, but we kind of worded that. But in the Bible, we read the purposes of the church. And if you took everything that the Scripture teaches about why the church is in the world, our church and every church, you, would come, you may say it differently, but this is the purpose of the church. Three things, to lift up Jesus to build up believers, and to reach out to others. That's it. Let's say that together. Lift up Jesus, build up believers, and reach out to others. When we come together for corporate worship like this, we're lifting up Jesus. We've been doing that for the last half hour in our worship, studying God's Word, lifting up Jesus, and hopefully we're being built up in our faith. And then to reach out to others. And it was beautiful in the baptism that we just saw a moment ago to see 
all eight of them up there and following the Lord in baptism and to hear Austin tell the stories about this one invited that one and this one invited that one and somebody just went and invited people they didn't even know uh, to come to church. And, and all these people got to say, you know, I was blessed last week to come across a number that I, I didn't know the number, but I knew God had been, has been blessing us for the last year, year and a half. We just see so many people getting saved each week. But to the glory of God, since March 15th, 2020, when the pandemic began and we stopped even having services for several weeks. Now, you listen to this. Since then, you think about not only the pandemic, but everything our world and especially our country has been through since then and is going through now. Listen to this. 663 people have made some decision for Jesus Christ here at First Baptist. 663. Of that... Of that number, 312 have been saved. And so we're seeing what I'm talking about today. We're seeing it happen. We're seeing when Jesus is lifted up, when believers are built up in their faith, and then when we go out to reach out to others to try to bring them to the Lord, we're seeing some incredible things happen. Now, in John chapter 1, I want us to just see one illustration. This is one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. One illustration of people who were, who, or one person specifically, who brought his brother to Jesus. Now, in chapter 1 and verse 29, let's just begin there. Now, remember, the book of the Gospel of John is written by the Apostle John. He never names himself. He's too humble for that. But church history has unanimously, there's never been any dispute that John is the one who wrote this book. So we come to verse 29 and it says, the next day, John, this is a little confusing because this is talking about John the Baptist. So the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, John the Baptist is doing what God sent him to do, to make clear to others who the Messiah is. He's the one. That's the Christ. That's the Messiah. He takes away the sins of the world. Verse 35, again, the next day, John, that is John the Baptist, stood with two of his disciples. Now think about this. Just like Jesus would end up having his disciples, John the Baptist initially had disciples himself, and two of them are with him right now. One is John, who wrote this, became the Apostle John, and the other was a man named Andrew. And looking at Jesus as he walked by, John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. So John the Baptist has been preparing people for the coming of the Messiah. And his followers were only supposed to follow him until Jesus emerged on the scene. And so John the Baptist is saying here, he's the one you should follow. He's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. So John, the apostle, would become the apostle. And Andrew, they began following Jesus. Verse 38, then Jesus turned and seeing them said to them, what do you seek? In other words, why are you following me? Jesus was trying to get them to verbalize what it was they thought or who it was they thought he was. They said to him, rabbi, which is to say teacher when translated, where are you staying? That's a logical question. We want to follow you. But we need to know where you're going. We don't want to follow somebody if we don't know where they're going. And Jesus said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 
He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. And so now you have one brother, Andrew, bringing his brother, Simon, to Jesus. Verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. Some of your translations say, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone, and that's where we get our name Peter. And so here we see Andrew having an encounter with Jesus that so changed his life that the first thing he did was go to his brother Simon. And he said, Simon, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Lord. We have found the Christ. Come to him. And he brought his own brother to Jesus. Now, as I have been thinking this past week and really for the last couple of weeks about Andrew, I think one of the things I like about Andrew, we can all relate to him. He was just what you would call a normal, common, ordinary man. Before he met Jesus, he had been a fisherman. After he met Jesus, he became a disciple. He was one of the 12, but he never got in the inner circle of the three with Peter, James, and John. He didn't get, his brother got in that, but he never did. Andrew was more of a behind-the-scenes guy. He was a quieter person. He was somebody that didn't have to be the center of attention. And I think most of us kind of identify with Andrew because he, he maybe was not as vocal and outgoing as some of the others. Now, as we think about him, I want us to think about how God takes us as normal, ordinary people. We're not anything flamboyant or flashy. We're just normal people. And how he turns us into effective witnesses for Jesus Christ. Now, as we, I've, got, I've got three things I want to mention today, and we'll just scoot right through this. But as we go through this, what we're going to see is the first thing Jesus does before he makes us an effective witness is he makes us a follower of his. He makes us a disciple. In other words, we can't give away what we don't already have. And so let's think about the process that Jesus used to turn Andrew into a disciple first and then into an effective witness. And the first thing I notice is this. You might want to just jot this down in your notes today. God in life, many times in life, we go through situations and circumstances and we have questions and things we wish God would explain to us. God doesn't always give us answers, but he always gives us an invitation. Now, let's go back and look at what we just saw. When Peter and Andrew are learning that Jesus is the Messiah, their question was at the end of verse 38, where are you staying? Logical question. They were expecting Jesus to say, Galilee, Jerusalem, Samaria, somewhere. Just give us a, tell us where you're staying. So they had a question and they said, Jesus, where are you staying? Okay. That's a good question. I would have asked the same thing. Verse 39, Jesus said to them, come and see. In other words, he did not answer their question. He didn't give them an answer, but he gave them an invitation. And in that invitation, he said, just come follow me and your questions will all get resolved along somewhere along the journey. In this case, pretty soon, sometimes he says, just follow me and the answers to your questions will get, they'll get resolved. But the most important thing God is saying to us today is not that you get your questions answered. The most important thing is that we follow Jesus. Now, all of us here today undoubtedly have questions. We have things that just like Peter and John said, Lord, where are you saying? Where are you staying? Many times we have questions in our lives. Many times our question is not, God, where are you staying or where are you going? Our question is, God, what are you doing in my life? 
Many times our question is, God, why did you allow this into my life? And God, why are you allowing me to hurt and be in pain like this? Sometimes our question to God is, God, when will the pain go away? Or when will it make sense? Or when will I know what I'm supposed to do next? Sometimes we say to God, God, where is this? Where are you leading me? Sometimes we say, God, what are the ramifications of what I'm going through? And we have our questions. And we want God to give us an answer. Sometimes he does. And sometimes he doesn't. But what I'm saying today is the most important thing is not that we get an answer. The most important thing is that we follow Jesus. I wrote something in my notes. This is certainly not profound, but I do think it's true. The unanswered questions that we all have in life will either derail our faith or they will develop our faith. Many times in life, a person has a question, God, why? God, when? God, how long? God, where? God, what does this mean? And they have a question, and heaven is silent, and there's no answer. And in that silence and in that non-answer from God, their faith is derailed, and they stop following Jesus. Others ask the same question. They don't get an answer either, but they do what Jesus told Peter and John to do. They come and they follow him, and somewhere along the journey of life, things become clear, or either we learn that the answer is not the most important thing anyway. The most important thing is that we follow Jesus. Now, if you come to First Baptist often, and if you have for any period of time, you've heard me or my dad quote a verse out of the Old Testament that helps us when we're going through unanswered questions in our lives and when things don't make sense to us. And it's a verse we've tried to use in our little booklets and in in meeting with others and even in preaching and teaching from here. It's in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29. There's a phrase in there that says, the secret things belong to the Lord. Say that with me. The secret things belong to the Lord. Say it again. Some of the questions we have are not going to get answered in this life. They're secret things. They're mysterious things. And they belong to the Lord and they don't belong to us. And that's true. But did you know in that verse, there's another phrase. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord, comma. But those things that have been revealed belong to us. In other words, there's sometimes in life... We have a question, we ask God, heaven is silent, secret thing, it belongs to the Lord. But there are some times in life when God actually answers our question, when God actually reveals what it is that we're asking, and he makes things maybe not 100% clear, but he gives us an answer to our questions. These are the things that are revealed. And as I was preparing, I thought, I sure would like to have an illustration of how sometimes we have questions and the thing is revealed, And then sometimes we have question and it's a secret thing. I like to be able to illustrate both of those. And so I do have those illustrations today. One of our graduates that we recognize Friday night, that we recognize this morning and who will be graduating on Friday night is a young lady from Ukraine named Nina Tarasovitz. Nina, where are you sitting right now? Are you, are you still awake? Is Nina still awake over there? There she is. She's standing up. Could we give her a hand? Her father is a pastor in Ukraine, and three years ago, Nina's mom and dad 
began talking to her about coming to the United States and going to a Christian school so she could learn more about God and the Bible and so she could learn the English language. Interestingly, Nina has an uncle who's a missionary. He's from Ukraine too, but he's been many times to America. And in his travels to America, he's learned about Christian schools in Dallas and in Houston and other places. And providentially, he learned about our First Baptist Christian Academy. And as I understand it, even sent his son here. And so Nina's uncle said to Nina's parents, listen, you need to send Nina to First Baptist Christian Academy in Pasadena. She'll get an excellent education. She'll learn about the Lord. There's a church that it's affiliated with a good church. She can get plugged into the church as well. And so three years, now think about this, three years ago when Nina was about 14 or 15 years of age, she moved to America knowing no one and not knowing how to speak a word of English. She came to our school. She lived with a family for quite some time and had a wonderful experience there. And for this last year, she's been living with Steve and Amy Cody and their girls and has become a part of their family. And so yesterday, I had the opportunity to talk to Nina and Steve. And I said, Nina, I said, I'm talking in the morning about sometime in life we have questions. God, why? God, where are you? God, what does this mean? And I said, here you are in America and your family's in Ukraine. I said, in the midst of Russia invading Ukraine and decimating so much of the country and all the tragedy that we've seen there... I said, have you asked God at all, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen? God, my, my country, where I'm from, my family, all of my friends, God, why are you allowing this to happen? I said, Nina, have you asked God that question or have you just not even wondered that? She said, oh, I've wondered it and I've asked God that question a lot. And she said, you know, John, not long ago when I was having my quiet time and I was asking God that question, she said, I felt like God in part answered my question. Not completely, but partly. I mean, we know part of the reason is people have a free will and what is being done is, is absolute evil, that, that, that that would be happening. There's no excuse for that. And yet, God has, has allowed that to happen. And she said God spoke to her and said, Nina, think about your father's church. Think about since the Russians have invaded Ukraine, how many more people are now coming to church than were coming to church before the invasion. And not only that, Nina, think about all the people that your dad keeps telling you are getting saved in the church that more than were getting saved before the invasion. And that's not necessarily why God allowed it to happen, but it's just something good that God has brought out of it. I asked Nina, I said, Nina, how do they do baptisms in, in your church in Ukraine? Do you have a baptistry? She said, no. It's not like First Baptist where we have the baptistry pool in the church. She said, our church is located by a beautiful river. And she said, every year in August on a beautiful warm Sunday, we go out to the river and everybody who's been saved in the previous year, they get baptized in that river. And then we have a big lunch and it's a big celebration. And she said, John, my dad keeps telling me that there've been so many people saved and they're already signing up for the baptism in August. And it may turn out being to be the biggest baptism the church has ever had this August because of all the people that have got saved. And she said, John, it helps me to know that in the midst of bad, God is bringing out a lot of good. Now, somebody ought to say amen to that because that's a good thing that's happening there. She said, I'll tell you something else that God has spoken to me, John, and God has revealed to me. And by the way, I tried to get Nina to come up here and tell her own story. I said, Nina, will you do it? She said, no, that'll be okay, John. You just tell the story for me. And so I'm doing my best, but it's not as good as what she would say. She said, John, one of the things that God spoke to my heart in my quiet time when I was asking him why, she said, God said, Nina, think of it this way. 
If you were with your family, because that was one of her questions, God, why can't I be with my family right now? I mean, it's kind of like if there's a hurricane and, and everybody's evacuated, but your family stayed, you kind of want to be in the same house with all your people in case somebody in your family needs something, right? And they're being invaded over there by something worse than a hurricane. And she said, God, at this time, why can't I be with my family right now? And she said, God spoke to her and said, remember, Nina, if you were with your family, if you had never come to Pasadena, you wouldn't have met the people at First Baptist Church and the church never would have partnered with your father's church and the church never would have been sending some money there to try to help now as the church is giving out food and clothes on a daily basis and medicine and things to those who need the thing. I'm not sure about the clothes, but the food and medicine to those who have the special needs there. And not only the church, but other people who've gotten to know Nina are now sending money to Ukraine to help her family. And she said, John, God spoke to me. And God said to me, Nina, if you were there, you wouldn't know any of these people. And they couldn't send the money to help your father and his church, which means they couldn't buy the food and they couldn't buy the medicine to help the people. And she said, John, as I was praying, God began to answer my question and it began to make sense. She said, I'm about to, she's graduating Friday night from the academy and she's going next year to Hardin-Simmons University, one of our great schools in Abilene. It's a wonderful school. I said, what are you gonna do at Hardin-Simmons? She said, I'm gonna get a degree in business management. And she said, the reason I want to get that degree, it'll take me about four years, after I have gotten that degree, listen to this, she's, she's 17 or 18 years of age, think of the maturity. She said, I want to go back home to my country in Ukraine. She said, I want to get my degree in business so I can go back home in Ukraine so I can help my people rebuild our country and rebuild our land. And that's what God has put on her heart. And so... God, why did the Russians invade? God, why aren't we together as a family? In part, God has answered those questions. Those are the things that are revealed. But sometimes in life, we go through things that are secret things, and they're not revealed. I mentioned a family a couple of weeks ago, and I want to mention them again today. They were in the first service today. I've known this family for over 25 years. Lester and Sheila Barker. They have three kids they have a daughter named Heather who was, when you guys, when I was the youth minister and y'all were the age, or, or they were your age, I was their youth minister. I was Heather's youth minister. And she has a sister named Brianna and they have a brother named Brad. Brad, 42 years of age. And a few Saturday nights ago, Brad went to bed. Not a problem in the world that they knew of. In the middle of his sleep, mysteriously, he died and he woke up in heaven. The next day, I was talking to Sheila and to the family on the phone. We had his service here on the Friday before Mother's Day. It was one of the most heartbreaking services that I've ever been a part of. And yet, he was saved. So there's hope in, in the fact that we know that he is with Jesus Christ. She texted me on Mother's Day morning, and she said, John, I can't believe I'm going to try this two days after my son's funeral. But she said, I've talked to my husband and I've talked to my girls and I've said to them, we need to go to church today and honor Brad and honor the Lord. And, she, and so they came to church on that morning. It was amazing to me. I texted her back that afternoon when I got home and said, I can't believe you were in church that close to the service. And, and I said, what, a, what an incredible witness. And she said, John, there's something I don't think you know. She said, back in 1990, when I was only 31 years of age, my mother and my father both died in that same year. And she said, it devastated me. I was very close to both of my parents. And she said, it was so hard on me that I, she said, for 32 years, I've not been to church on Mother's Day or Father's Day. 
because I couldn't stand to go to church on the day when everybody else is celebrating their parents and mine are gone. She said, in fact, I was a school teacher, and, and she's, she's given me permission to, to share, share it. I would never tell a story like this without, without having permission. But she said, she said, for many years before I retired, I was a school teacher. And she said, on Grandparents' Day, when all the students' grandparents would come to church, those grandparents were about the age of what my parents would have been. And I can just remember, she said, John, I just thought, God, why couldn't my parents have lived to be the grandparents of my kids? When they, God, why did they have to go? And she said, John, it was a real struggle, and I wasn't as active in church. And she said, I went through some time being angry with God, and she's just telling me all this. And, and I said to her, and I want to say to those today who may be feeling the same thing, that's okay. God understands. After all, we're only human. But she said, John, after Brad, died and God worked her through all that it was part of the grieving process it just took a long time after Brad died she said this she said I John I wanted to set a new precedent and she said my heart was was even more broken having lost my son than it was having to have lost my parents but she said I wanted to make a new a, 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 a new beginning and set a new precedent and she said this time instead of allowing my heartache to drive me away from God I wanted my heartache to drive me closer to God and I wanted my two daughters to know that what we need to do is stay in church and get more active in church. And they've been there every Sunday since his service. Now, that, before I finish this sermon about Andrew, I, just feel, I felt led in the first service. And I feel led to say this in this service today. Because some of you may have just lost a parent. Or you may have just lost a child. Or you just lost somebody very close to you. And you, you can identify with all the emotions and the frustration and the anger and the question that Sheila and Lester have had to work themselves through. But listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 57 about those who die, those who are saved when they die. Whether they die unexpectedly, early, or whatever the case may be. Listen to this. The righteous perishes and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away. While no one considers, God says nobody's thinking about it from this perspective, that the righteous is taken away from evil. He shall enter into peace. I want to remind you, friend, today what you already know. That saved parent, that saved child, that saved spouse, that saved grandparent, that saved friend, if they were saved right now, they are more alive than they have ever been in the presence of Jesus Christ in heaven. They've been taken from an imperfect world to a perfect heaven. And that's why God says, no one considers this part how happy they are. That doesn't mean our hearts don't break, but it does help us as we go through the grief to know that they're okay. Now, what have I said so far? In life, God doesn't always give us answers, but he always gives us an invitation. He says, come follow me. It'll be clearer along the road. Just trust me. I'll tell you what you need to know when you need to know it. Now, the second thing I want to say today is this. If we accept the invitation, our lives will be forever changed and we will have a passion to bring others to Jesus. Now, back in John chapter 1, look again in verse 39. Remember, John, the apostle, is writing this. And it says, after Jesus said, come and see, they came and saw where Jesus was staying. And they remained with him that day. They spent a whole day with Jesus. And then in parentheses, John says, now it was about the 10th hour. At the 10th hour. Now, in John's gospel, he doesn't use Jewish time. 
He uses Roman time. Jewish time begins at 6 a.m. Roman time begins at midnight. And so when he says it was about the 10th hour, it was 10 o'clock in the morning. Think about this. John's life had been so changed by this encounter with Jesus Christ that he could remember what time it was when he met Jesus. I wonder today how many of you can remember what time it was when you met Jesus or what day it was. You know, back at long time ago, when I was the age of our graduates today, and we used to have revivals, and uh, we would try to pack the pews in all the churches, and now we're trying to pack the pews in our own church, asking God to pack the pews. But we would have those revivals, and one of the songs we would sing when we would talk about salvation, we would sing the old song. Most of you don't even know it. Some of you might remember it. It was on a Monday. Somebody touched me. Does anybody remember when we sing those songs? Okay, three people, only three people. Well, we would sing, we would name the day of the week. We would sing this little song. It was on a Monday. Somebody touched me. It was on a Monday. Somebody touched me. It was on a Monday. Not bad singing, is it? Somebody touched me. It must have been the hand of the Lord. And if you got saved on Monday, you stood up, then you sat down. It was on a Tuesday. You did all the way through the week. And then most people couldn't remember the day, so on Sunday, everybody stood up because it was a Sunday. And most people got saved at church anyway. Let me, say today, let me say this today, friend. You don't have to know what time you got saved. You don't have to know what day you got saved. But you do need to know that you've been saved and that Jesus Christ has changed your life. And if he has changed your life, there should be a passion in your heart to bring other people to him. One of the ways I know that I'm, one of the ways that I know I trusted Jesus in the past is that I'm trusting Jesus right now. And one of the ways I know that Jesus changed me in the past is that he is still changing me now. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, we're being transformed into the likeness of Christ from glory to glory. Now, one other thing that I want to say, and then I'm done, we should always begin. We, we, we have questions. He doesn't answer them, but he gives us an invitation. And so if we accept that invitation, he changes our life. So much so that we might even remember the day. We might even remember the time of day that it was. But nonetheless, our life has been changed. And now we have a passion. I want to help other people's life to be changed. And so what do we do? We begin by bringing those closest to us to Jesus Christ. And that's what Andrew did. He found Simon. He said, Simon, we've been looking for the Messiah for a long time. We grew up in the same home. We got the same parents. Went to the same school. But I found something that you need. I have found Jesus Christ. We have a young lady in our school, in our church, named Tess Allgood. Tess, T-E-S-S. -S. She's 21 years of age. She grew up in our church. In fact, she told me earlier, she told me yesterday, she said, John, I've been in First Baptist so long, I can remember my preschool teachers and what it was like at that age. She sent me a text yesterday afternoon when she was in first grade. My dad's talking about the first graders. When she got her first grade Bible back in 2007, I think we have that picture. There Tess is getting her Bible back in 2007. Now she's 21 years of age. Well, about seven or eight months ago, she started dating a guy named Paul Vincent. And they hit it off. They had good chemistry. They got along. They had some of the same interest. And as the relationship, you know how relationships do, it kind of went from just being friends to now there's more interest. And on one day, Tess said to Paul, she said, Paul, I really like you and I would like for us to date and kind of take this relationship to the next level. And she said, but in order for us to do that, she said, I got to be honest with you. I really want to date somebody who will go to church with me. And Paul wise enough to 
keep dating Tess, said, well, if that's what it takes, I'll go to church. And then, she, then he said to her, he said, I'll be honest with you, my mama's been telling me that I need to date some girl that would make me go to church. That's what my mom's been telling me. So moms know best. So Paul started coming to church here at First Baptist. Week after week, Tess and Paul were here, Tess and Paul were here. On Easter Sunday, when so many were here and so many were saved that day, they were sitting together, of course, and we got to the invitation. Are you sure you're saved? You know, that's what I was asking. And Paul looked over to Tess and said, Tess, he's asking if I'm 100% sure that I'm saved. And I've heard enough of the God. I understand salvation a little bit now, and, and I'm not sure. I've got to get that settled. Tess said to Paul, she said, well, you know, Paul, even though I've grown up in the church, I was in preschool here, I've been in the church all my life, she said, to be honest with you, I don't have the full assurance that I'm saved either. On Easter Sunday, both of them prayed together to make sure they were saved. They both stood up together. Last Sunday, they were both baptized together. It was a beautiful thing. On the week before the baptism, Paul said to his mother, Leticia, he said, Mom, I'm getting baptized. He said, I've, I got saved. I'm getting baptized this Sunday. She said, he said, would you be, she said, he said, I know you don't come to First Baptist, but would you be willing to come to First Baptist next Sunday and, and watch me get baptized? And his mom said, Paul, I'll go anywhere to watch you get baptized. She came last Sunday. She watched him get baptized. She stayed for the whole service. As the sermon progressed, she got convicted of her own need. And when we gave the invitation last week to the glory of God, Paul's mom, Leticia, also prayed. And she got Jesus in her heart. She got saved. And she's getting baptized in three weeks. So I was thinking about this. Think about this. Simon brought Peter. Tess brought Paul. Paul brought his mother. And all these people are getting saved. We have a young lady uh, that I talked to her a few weeks ago. She lives in Utah. She's a college age, 18, 19 years of age. Somehow she has become friends with a member of our church who's on TikTok. Now I have to say, I do not know what TikTok is, okay? I don't know if it's legal, illegal, moral, immoral. I thought TikTok was the sound that a clock made. That's all I know about TikTok. But our member starts talking to this girl. She's in Utah, he's here. And she says to him, he says to her, look, I go to church in Pasadena, Texas. I go to First Baptist Church. They stream our services. Why don't you start watching the services online on Sunday? She started watching our services from Utah. I talked to her a few weeks ago. She said, John, I was watching the services. Well, I was watching service. I didn't understand what happened, but something happened in my heart. I knew I needed to be saved. She said, I have prayed and invited Jesus into my heart. I've already become a member online. And as soon as I graduate from college, I want to move to Houston and get baptized at First Baptist in Pasadena. She's in Utah. So I'm saying... If our lives have been changed, then we should have a passion to help other people to experience what we have experienced in Jesus Christ. 